Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Has Jesus done some things in your life? Yeah, come on, clap your hands, shout, praise, do what you got to do. Man, oh, just thinking about that and uh, forgive me, band, I wasn't singing during that part. I was just thinking about what he's actually done, just as the song says, and just reminded of all the things that God's done in my life personally, but also there was echoes of what God did in people's lives last weekend. Uh, God moved even outside of this room in an amazing way, and I heard people within this room say, did you, did you sense the spirits move today? And, and then there were actually people who were just connecting with us online who also said there was just something that impacted them on the other side. And I want you to know this is what God is up to. When we avail ourselves to Him, He will do something in us. And this is, it's not some formula, but it's just reality. When we open ourselves to Him, there's a promise that He will speak and He will do what it is that He wants to do. And He will move in our hearts in the way that He wants to move. I, I want to tell you about some other great things that are happening today. Actually, just right after the service, we have Discover Calvary. There's more people in this Discover Calvary who've signed up than in the previous two since we've been here, which is really good. We celebrate steps, and Discover Calvary is one of those steps that's, uh, that people take on their journey to know more about the church or perhaps to even to join the church if they so choose to do so. So we, we celebrate that and, and all that God's doing, but also God's doing another great thing that many of you know nothing about. And first of all, I just want to say uh, to Dolly, Dolly and Kevin are not here right now. They're actually doing ministry off, off site somewhere. But I just want to say, and I want you to tell Dolly, thank you for all the years of service she's poured into kids ministry specifically. She has been coordinating the, the kids' ministry for a long time now in the absence of having a director of kids' ministry, but today I get to announce we have a new director of kids' ministry, and that is my wife, Marla Zook, right here. So it's, it's one of those things that, that we felt and believed that God would have us to do in this season to be very strategic, to minister not only to children but to families specifically. So we've made a, a it's a faith-based decision and, and a pivot to that position. I know some of you are like, hey, aren't we looking for a student pastor? And the answer is yes, we are. And we have had several resumes who've come in, some of which may be viable candidates, some of them not. We've had a little bit of communication back and forth, had a conversation on Friday. Don't know what the Lord has for us with student ministry, but I want you to know he's working. And we're working, so just so you know that we haven't forgotten that too. There's all sorts of things that God's doing, and he's connecting all sorts of dots. And I just know that some of you are going to be asked to step up and serve in areas that you're not currently serving, and I say amen. And not a whole lot of amens there, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I anticipated that. So, but there are great things happening all around us as a family. And I just want you to see it and experience it and know it and believe it. And so this morning, we're going to jump into week six of our series. And we've officially rounded third and we're on our way home. 
If you're a baseball fan, you know that means something. It means we're about to score. Next week is week seven. We're going to finish up this series and start a little bit shorter series as we're talking about what it means to be a person of the kingdom. This, the, the series title is called Kingdom People. So we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a person of the kingdom of God in today's world. And are there any biblical examples, even from the Old Testament and New Testament, that guide our paths so that we can become the people that God wants us to be in this season? So if you have your Bible, please open it up to... Matthew 23, 27 and 28 is the key passage for today. We're looking at the sixth woe of Jesus when he's teaching to the Pharisees, or not teaching, excuse me, when he's, he's scorning the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law about their hypocrisy. They were doing some things wrong, and Jesus is not only calling them out privately, but it's also publicly. So before we even get into the passage, I want you to know this. All of these events, these seven woes that have been talked about and, and will be talked about in completion in this series, they're all on Tuesday of Passover week. Some of you know the Bible and you know that's significant. So th- this is literally, this is two days after Palm Sunday, four days before Good Friday. So now when you look about this in context of when Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of the time and he's speaking to them so directly, he's giving them a firm word, but it's also a word of mourning because he realizes that for them, although he gives them a bit of hope, you're going to see this at the end of next week, he gives them a little bit of mercy, an application of mercy at the end of of these woes. But yet he's speaking to them in such a way, he's grieving the loss because they've missed the opportunity. So because they've missed the opportunity, there's something in them that needs to change. That they thought that they were so religious and they were so right on the outside, but they were so corrupt on the inside. That the parts of them were, were dark on the, on the inside, but on the outside, they look like the spiritual, the, rather, they look like the pinnacle of what it meant to be a spiritual person in that day. And you may think, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, it was fake. They were acting The word hypocrite means actor. They were playing a role, but they didn't actually believe it. They were doing it to make themselves look good, and people would come to them, and they would flock to them, and they would would impose laws, oral and written laws of the Old Testament. They were being very creative to try and force people to do things so that they could become religious people, holy and religious people that were not even in the Bible to do. So then Jesus steps on the... into that part of the world in this time, and he knows full well what's been going on with the Pharisees because the movement of the Pharisees started actually not that long before all of this, and now their rise to prominence and now their influence. And Jesus is grieved that the Pharisees are doing this, and he's corrupting people who would try to seek God. People were trying to seek God. Just like today, people are trying to seek God. And the Pharisees were trying to make people religious, but Jesus was trying to invite people into a relationship. And let me tell you, church, there is a difference. Religion means I have to do certain things to be in right relationship with God. And to be in right relationship with Jesus means that there's nothing I can actually do to make myself well enough to make Jesus love me. There's nothing I can do. There's no performance of my life that I could do to to see about my own salvation. It's only through the finished work of the cross and the, the the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ. 
And then Jesus invites us into a relationship. In this passage, let's read it together. Matthew 23, starting in verse 27. You might consider this a part B from last week's message because these two are so closely tied together. Verse 27 says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. Sounds like a really cheery verse. See, this is what happens when you read large sections and you study like large sections of the Bible. You find stuff like this. You're like, where's the faith? Where's the hope? Where's the love? Where's the, hey, this is going to be awesome. And yet sometimes you look in here and you're like, i got to look for the awesome. We're going to find some today. As we look at the, the other side of what Jesus is saying, look again at verse 28. In the same way, on the outside you appear as people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. We would all agree that we would not, be, we would not want to be on the other side of Jesus' words here. Am I, am I correct in assuming that? None of us would say, you know what, I don't know. I want to be in alignment with the Pharisees. I want, want, I want to be known as someone who is... Who is, you know, oh, I don't know, what does it say here? Oh, here it is, a hypocrite and wicked. Like no one is just going to line up behind the Pharisees and say, well, I would be here. But, but here's, the, here's the unfortunate part. We all can end up here. We can end up in this place without us even intending to be in that place. We can be in that place because the Pharisees had, a, they, they knew the law of the Old Testament. They, they knew the structure of the law, and yet their, their application of the law was wrong because they had added some things to it. And when they added the things to the law, it was actually making them go farther away from God and leading other people to go farther away from God. And what Jesus is calling them to do and what Jesus is calling you to do is convert some things in your life that are not right. He's calling them and he's calling us to conversion because we all can be like the Pharisees. We all can be hypocrites. We all can. We can fall in a path of wickedness without us even trying to do so. We can lull ourselves to sleep as Christians. We can become so complacent and so comfortable in church where we actually stop pursuing God altogether and we show up to look the part, but we're not actually living the part. This puts a person... Myself or you, no one is exempt from this, from just walking away from God, but yet feeling great all the way out. That's a sad reality. Notice how Jesus starts this woe. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. So I started to think about a way to illustrate this in, like, in today's world. And I'm going to get to what Jesus is talking about here, but I want to use illustration. So right now, I have a, a 1999 Ford F-150. Any of my Ford people out there? Anyone? Ford people? There you go. Any Chevy people out there? Anyone? Okay. Oh, a little more vocal on that one. Frankie, I've never heard you talk in church before. Hey. All right, I've got something for both of you. All right, so right now, I've got a Ford pickup truck. It's bright red. It's bright red. It's a beautiful truck. I love it. But prior to that, I had a 1998 
Chevy. There, there you go, Frankie. Chevy pickup truck. I had to upgrade to a Ford. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I had a, a, this truck, and it was also red. It was a 1998. And it, and it drove just fine. Had some things wrong with it. It was a 1998. Had a lot of miles on it. Wanted to get rid of it. Everything's fine. Once I got my new truck, it's a shiny red truck. Uh, I, I want to, I, I just, you know, when I bought the truck, I was like, I just want to, I just want to clean this thing up. I wanna, I, it was actually fun to clean it up. Isn't it fun to clean a new car? Not, no, no, no. I, I think it's kind of to fun to, to clean a new car. It's not fun to clean an old car. Like if you have an old car, it's like, it's an old car. You kind of forget about it anyway. Maybe I'm the, the outsider here, perhaps. But for me, it was kind of fun to, to clean the truck when it was new because, man, I get that shine back again and again and again. And, and, then, and then eventually I would, like, vacuum the inside, and then I would, I would wipe down the inside, and I had the new car scent. It's like, oh, man, this just smells really good. And, and all the while, the, the farther and farther and farther, the more that I had the truck, the less I cleaned it. I, I cleaned it two days ago, which is probably why it rained last night. You know how that works. But so, so I cleaned it, and I got that, that bright red back and, and all of that, and I wiped down the inside. But, but it makes me think of this, and there's an application point for our lives. A lot of times I wash the outside of the truck. Sometimes I'll even go inside and I'll vacuum the, the interior of the truck. But not one time have I done actually anything under the engine compartment. Not one time have I wiped that joker down. I mean, I'll get the oil changed, you know, change the air filter or something, those kinds of things. But I don't even do that because I've kind of farmed that out to somebody else to do that even for me. So the last time that I've actually looked under the hood was when there was a problem. Isn't that much like our life. Like if, if everything's great, and if we look good on the outside, we're just trucking along. It isn't until there's a little knock here, or there's a little burden here, or there's, there's a little sting here, or there's a little pain point in life here, or a little grief point here that actually brings about change. We can be very much like the Pharisees, where Jesus is saying, they're just, what are they doing? He says, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. You may say, well, why do they look beautiful on the outside? Well, they look beautiful on the outside in their culture because the tombs, not like today, they did have cemeteries that were formalized like ours, but they ha- there was a lot of people who would just pass away on a long journey. Well, they weren't able to bring the body back home for, uh, for burial in that way, so instead they would have to bury them on the side of the path. So imagine this, in a culture that doesn't have electricity, doesn't have light, and it doesn't have improved roads. And then someone passes away on a journey, so then they just, they bury them there, and then they put a grave marker. That's one piece. The other piece is, this is the Passover week. Passover was the culmination of three different Jewish festivals all into one week. Thousands of people would be traveling from wherever they lived into Jerusalem for the Passover week. Thousands. The city and surroundings of Jerusalem would swell by the thousands. Now, you don't have improved roads. People would be traveling by night. And, and there are graves along the side of the road. Who knows where? And if someone touched the grave, they would be considered unclean. This is what it says in Numbers 19.16. It says, anyone put out in the open who touches someone who has been killed with the sword... McKinney, can you put that on the slides for on the screen for us? Anyone out in the open who touches someone who has been killed with a sword or someone who's died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. 
This was the law at the time. Someone would be considered unclean, and to be unclean meant that they couldn't practice or they couldn't take part in any of, of the festival that was happening during Passover week. So they would go out and they would put lime over the tombs and they would clean the tombs up because the tombs would be disgusting and they would, they would get dirty and because they weren't even like ours, that improved. So they would go out and, and, and culturally they would put lime all over the tombs that way that people would be able to see the tombs. It was, it was said, some of the theologians have said that, that the tombs actually, when, when the light would hit the top of, the, of these tombs after they'd been cleaned with limestone, it would have like a radiance, almost like a, a rainbow effect. Like it would make such a difference. So the Pharisees and others would go out and they would clean the the top of these tombs to make sure that these wary travelers who were going, traveling a long distance on unimproved roads, when you're traveling at night and you don't have electricity, in an area where people may have died along a previous travel of their own, and now there's a tomb and people would be walking along the road, they would clean the top of the tombs to make sure that nobody bumped into the tomb. Because if you bumped into the tomb, you were considered unclean. So imagine going for hundreds of miles, anticipating a good time and a festival, and and just a time of spiritual awakening and the the reading of of the word, and now you actually can't participate at all just because along the road you bumped into a tomb. Or a grave, rather. Like that's, that's what's happening here. And this seems like a noble act. And Jesus takes this noble act... And he flips it around, doesn't he? He says, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look, in one of the translations, the the ESV translation uses the word appear here. We're going to touch on this in a moment. Which look or appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. He says, oh my goodness, on the outside you just look so radiant and everybody just look at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and they've got it all together. They're all dialed in. They are the spiritual people. And Jesus says, on the outside you look in such a way, but on the inside you're, you're just, you're full of dead man's bones. You're dead. You think you're spiritually alive, but you're dead. You think you have it together, but you don't. You think that you... You are someone that, that is, other people want to be like. But you're a hypocrite, Jesus says. Because they were doing all these things to be noticed. Because for them, it was all about their reputation. Jesus was calling out their hypocrisy Because the Pharisees lived for the reputation, not character. They lived for their reputation, not character. And yet, the Word of God tells us in Proverbs 4.23, one of my favorite passages of all time, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, Guard your heart. Another translation says, for it affects everything you do. Above all else. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? It means above all else. I mean, it's because your words and your actions, all of that start in a place, and it's the place of your heart. 
That's the thing that sets you in motion. It sets your words in motion. It sets your actions in motion. It sets the inclination. The leanings of your life are based upon the posture of your heart. And the Pharisees didn't care. It was about the reputation. It wasn't. They weren't living for their character. And Jesus calls us to something much greater and much more powerful. D.L. Moody, great preacher from over 100 years ago, he said this, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. If I take care of my character, then my reputation will take care of itself. In the Old Testament, there's a passage that I want us to go to. It's in Ezekiel starting in verse uh, 1 of chapter 34. I'll set this up a little bit because Ezekiel's one of the Old Testament prophets, and it's actually a large book in the Old Testament, but yet it's often neglected because there, there is a little bit of challenging reading in there and understanding what's going on. Ezekiel... He's an interesting guy because he just started out as a farmer. He didn't start out as a prophet. He started out as a farmer. And his ministry actually didn't last that long. But yet he had an immense impact in his few years of ministry. And a few years of being a prophet. His area, a prophet in, in that day, was somebody who was declaring the truth and also foretelling events that are true. So for him, he was... He was ministering to the exiles, the people who had been kicked out of Jerusalem and they had been sent into Babylon after Babylon came in and took over and overthrew Jerusalem. And now the the Jewish people have been just ripped away from their homeland and now into Babylon. And God sent Ezekiel to bring the word to them while they're in this place. Really a cool read. You ought to read it sometime. This is what it says. This is a lengthy read, just so you know, but there's gold here, trust me. The word of the Lord came to me, that's Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who've been feeding themselves, shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the wounded, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. Verse 5. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were separated. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. Verse 7. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. Because my flock, lacking a shepherd, has become prey and food for every wild animal, and because my shepherds do not search for my flock, and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than the flock, therefore, verse 9, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Look, I'm against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves, for I rescue my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day, he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. 
I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them from the mountains of Israel and the ravines and all the inhabited places of the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains." There they will lay down in a good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture in the mountains and on Israel, in, of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the wounded, and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. This is an illustration of what's happening Although this is about 500 years before the events of Passover week, on the Tuesday of Passover week, and and the woes to the Pharisees, Ezekiel is bringing the word of God to those who would consider consider themselves shepherds of Israel. This is the same posture that the Pharisees would have taken, thinking that they were the shepherds of Israel. And notice that the shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel 34, they were not doing the right thing. It was all about selfishness. It was all about their indulgence. It was all about what they could glean from the people instead of what they could add to the people's lives. They were there and they thought they were the shepherds of Israel, that they were to be taking care of everyone. And Ezekiel calls them out by the Spirit of God and the power of God in that day. And he says, and you're doing a terrible job if you think you're a shepherd of Israel. Instead, you're going to be removed from your position. You're going to be dealt with with a firm hand of justice. And instead, God will be the shepherd. That he will look out for his flock. He will seek the lost. He will bring back the strays. He will bandage the wounded, and he will strengthen the weak. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Ezekiel is prophesying, and Jesus would fulfill this prophecy because Jesus is the good shepherd. That it doesn't matter where you are or what you've been doing, what you did last night, what you did this morning, or how you feel this morning based upon what you did last night. Jesus is, if you're listening to me today, there's an invitation for Jesus because he's the good shepherd. He wants your heart to be made right by Him, but He understands too the only way you can do that is He's not going to force Himself upon you. Instead, he's going, to, he's going to speak to you and He's going to woo you, but it's up to you to surrender to Him. The Pharisees, they wanted no part of that. The Pharisees, it was, look at me, not look at the mighty work of God. In Ezekiel, humble man, farmer, called to be a prophet, couple years of ministry, he brings this truth that then would be fulfilled in the life of Jesus because Jesus is the good shepherd. He's still looking out for us. We still have the tendency, don't we, if we're honest, that sometimes we just get lost on our own journey. Sometimes we're the stray. Everybody else is going this way and we just drift this way because we make choices and just drift farther and farther away from God and God's people. At times, we're the wounded. Even self-inflicted wounds. And at all times, we are actually weak. And God says, 
I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Better than the Pharisees. Much better than the Pharisees. Back to our original passage. Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look or appear beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they're full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. I couldn't help but, but think of when uh, the nation of Israel was calling their king, a king to replace King Saul, because King Saul was a man of unbelief, and he knew that his days were numbered, so then they were, they were going to call out an eventual king, and it was going to be one of Jesse's sons. And remember, there's a large number of sons. Jesse has all these sons, and, and one by one they come out before, and, and Samuel's there, and he's listening to God, and he's like, okay, he brings the first one, you know, he's like 6'6", 240, just jacked, looks like just a, a ripped tight end, you know. He comes up, and he's like, and Samuel's like, he's got to be the one. He's got to, he's got to, look at him. He's got to be the one. He's been eating right. He's been doing push-ups and stuff. He, he's right. He's got to be. And God says, nope, let him go by. He's like, that's fine. Totally understand. My next son, he's 6'4", 220. I get it. He's, he's Jack too. It's fine. I get it. Sorry about that, son. You're out of here. Then the next one comes up and he's like, sorry, no. And then you get further down the line and you know it's like the fourth one maybe. And he's like 190, but he's a lean 190. You know what I mean? He's lean. And maybe he's like 5'11". You know, maybe, I don't know. It doesn't say that in the Bible. I'm totally just spitballing this. It's like maybe 5'11", you know. And, and he's like 190, but he's lean. And he's like, that's fine, he'll do. And, if, and God says through Samuel, he's like, no, he's not the one. He's not the one. And, and then God directs Samuel to, to say, well, don't you have one more son? And he's like, oh, yeah, now that you mention it. He's not here. Yeah. He's actually, he's out in the fields. Because he himself was a shepherd. And he was the youngest. Think about this. He wasn't even the one that his dad thought was capable of being king. Because he wasn't even there. And the word of God tells us that, that God doesn't judge by based upon what's on the outside. Instead, God does what? What's on the heart. And there was something about the heart of David. That he had a man after God's own heart. That then, it wasn't just built upon this appearance of like who they thought would be king. Instead, God was looking at the heart. And God used that as an opportunity. And then, of course, King David would come in and he would reign and he would have a lot of great days and he had some bad days. But we're very similar in this way because we can get caught up in appearances. We can. We can get caught up in appearances and we can think that just some things are better than what they are, including ourselves. Because not everything that we see is actually true. Well, I'm way off my notes right now, praise God, just so you know. Just so we know, we're all together in this. You've got some things to fill in, and I know some of you are going to be left out if you don't hit them, so we're going to get there eventually. Trust me. We're going to jump back in. God looks at the heart. That's on your notes, by the way. God looks at the heart. 
He's concerned about your heart. Notice what it says in Mark, 27, Mark 2, verse 17. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. And Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Romans 3, 10 through 11. Says something about all of us. It may seem like bad news, but it's only bad news if you haven't asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin. But it's good news if on the other side of of this news that you know that your sins have been forgiven. That you know your heart is right with God. Romans 3, 10 through 11 says this, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise, no one is seeking God. No one just naturally seeks God because that's just the right thing to do. And like, that's just the way I was raised. No one truly at their heart seeks after God. And no one is righteous on their own. A wonderful gift to be received though. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If you confess, if we, I love, I love how John puts us together. and He brings us all together. It isn't like if you, he's saying if we. Confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. There's an offer there for you and I. You may say, well, well, pastor, you know, you you just kind of throw a word, throw around that word heart and and righteous. And and then if I I can't be righteous on my own, what does that, what does that mean? I don't know exactly what it means for your heart because it's only you and God truly knows the position and condition of your heart right in this moment, but what I can tell you is this. Righteousness begins with the right relationship with God. Righteousness begins with the right relationship with God. And a right relationship with God reveals itself by living rightly with God, with others, and within oneself. You can track how well you're doing spiritually in these three different categories. Am I loving God increasingly? Not perfectly, but increasingly. Do I love God more than I did two days ago, five days ago, a month ago, a year ago, five years ago? Am I loving God? And beating, am I loving God? Do I actually want to get into His Word? Do I actually do I want to spend time in here? Not to just go through a little devotional, uh, just a little, a little sprinkling of something spiritual and then close the book and live my life. But instead, are you actually wanting to get in and discover the God of the Bible and understand his pathway for your life and how and understand that we ourselves are we need a shepherd because we are all lost sheep this is our guide God uses this as our guide so that we can navigate this this difficult life and in a, a hard place to live on planet earth he knows that we all can be the stray remember the parable of the 99 and the one we all can be the one But he's the good shepherd, and he helps us to navigate through this. Do you love God more? Do you want to know more about his word? Do you you want to know more about about how his word is supposed to be impacting your life? Are you dissatisfied with your spiritual life so you go in and you want to discover more of the things of God? Also, are you loving other, are, are you living rightly with others? Do you still, listen to me, church, listen to me. Do you still harbor the same unforgiveness in your heart as you did 10 years ago? And you've called yourself a Christian for 15 years. Let's do the math. 
Let's do the math. That means you said you've been a Christian for 15 years, but you've got unforgiveness in your heart that birthed 10 years ago. Something is wrong with your spiritual life if you're harboring any unforgiveness. Any unforgiveness. I, I, I'm just going to level with you. I don't care what they did to you. I don't care what they said about you. I, I don't. Because when Jesus forgave you, he didn't have a merit and condition of all of your sins and say, nope, that one is the unforgivable one. He didn't say, well, you said that about your mama, you said that about my mama, you said that about them. Oh, that teacher, you did this, you slept with them, you took those drugs, you, you took that pill, you drank, the, you drank that drink, you said those words, you gossip, you slanders. Sorry, those things are not forgivable. Instead, Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross, because every sin is forgivable. Therefore, if Jesus is willing to forgive your sins, you and I have to be able to forgive any sins committed against us by other people. I don't care what they've done. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's always going to feel good. But it means if you're going to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ and you're going to live rightly with God and other people, you will have to forgive. Period. As it pertains to you, live at peace with everyone is what the Word of God says. Not wait for somebody else to make something right. You take the initiative to make it right because God wants you to make it right. Adding to that, are you living right within yourself? Do you have a good, a good view of yourself? Are you abusing yourself? Your self-image do you, do you think less of yourself? Yet you call yourself a Christian and yet you live as if you don't have any hope. You live as if, you live as if knowing that you, we can come in here and talk about how our identity is in Christ and yet you look in the mirror and all you see is all your brokenness and all your flaws and all your failures. That's not your identity. Jesus Christ is your identity. We have to get past all of those things. God wants us to be past all those things because he sees our lives already beyond those things. So you may say, well, you know, here's the thing. It's like I just, I, I get it. You know, I just, I just see it's just like a broken record of all the things that I've ever done. God doesn't look at you that way. I don't even look at you that way. We've all done bad things. There is no cancel culture in this church. There, there is none. Because if we were to install some cancel culture in this, cult, in this church, the church would be vacant. There'd be nothing but weeds growing up outside. No electricity. This place would be locked for a little while and then it'd be vandalized because no one's here and no one's coming. If we're going to live right with God and we're going to live right with others, means we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we love our neighbor as ourselves in the way that God loves us and grow in that understanding. Because God loves you. He's the good shepherd. He understands that you, that you and I stray. He understands that... That, that some of us are broken. He understands that, that some of us have chased ungodly things, and yet he's the good shepherd and wanting us to come back. 
And sometimes it's not just coming back once. Sometimes it's coming back and back and back and back. And God is long-suffering, and he's very persistent, and he brings us back and back and back. And you know what? I'll put a smile on my face, and I'll hug your neck, and those doors will be wide open, and you can come back and back and back. And that includes anybody else who's been in the situation that I've been in and that you've been in. Because if not, if we're not going to be these kinds of people, we're going to be like the Pharisees who are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but we're full of dead man's bones on the inside. We have to get this right. There is something in us that needs to change and it needs to be converted. And it needs to be confessed. So a question, and then I'm through, is this. I may be through. I don't know. We'll see. It's all up in the air right now. The question is this. Am I as righteous as I appear to be? Am I as righteous as I, as I appear to be? Am I as righteous as I appear to be? Are you as righteous as you appear to be by the standards that was just presented to you are you as righteous as you appear to be are you as righteous as you appear to be what about you friend are you as righteous as you appear to be Got some friends over here too. Are you as righteous as you appear to be? How about we use today to go before Almighty God, trusting in His faithfulness? Just as His Word says, that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. And he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Perhaps today's that day. Would you stand?